Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. All right. Hey, uh, we are in the midst of a series called The Gospel of John, and we are going through The Gospel of John. We're going to dive right in uh, because how many of you read John chapter 6 this week? A handful of you, more than last week, so keep reading with us. What you notice in John chapter 6 is it's really long, (laughs) 70 verses long, and that's kind of the importance of you reading it in your own time because uh, unless you want me to keep you here for a really long time, we just can't go into detail into every verse. So uh, be reading along with us next week. Uh, We're going to move into uh, two chapters, John 7 and 8. The reason for this is because this series is taking us all the way through Easter, and we want to be on John chapter 20 on Easter Sunday. So this coming week, read John 7 and 8, uh, and uh, it's going to be good. Uh, Jesus, we welcome you here. I pray that you speak this morning, Lord. We give you freedom in this place, in Jesus' name, uh, amen. Last week... Uh, I told you that what I see beginning, uh, especially in John chapter 5, beginning to unfold, uh, is the unfolding of the gospel of grace that John had talked about in chapter 1. In chapter 1, in in the uh, prologue, John said, the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about how in John 5, Jesus really dove into that aspect of it. And we're going to see a little more of that unfolding today. But I want to remind you of something We looked at last week that Jesus said in John chapter 5 in verse 24. This really sets the stage for what we're talking about today in chapter 6. In 524, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Uh, If you were with us last week, we talked about how the the very positioning of this verse in Scripture actually highlights the importance of the verse because right before Jesus says this, he says, the Father has given me authority over judgment and life. And right after this, he says it again, the Father has entrusted me with both life and judgment. And sandwiched between those two synonymous statements, Jesus says, hey, this is what I have decided to do with that authority. The authority over judgment in life, this is what I've decided to do. If you place your faith in me, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. You will not be judged. And in a culture that was engulfed in the the idea of works and self-righteousness and earning your way to God, Jesus says, this is what you must do. Hear and believe. That's it. Hear and believe. What Jesus is doing is he is revealing the grace of God through his ministry. Hear and believe. And what we find here is one of the, the, the major themes of the entire Gospel of John. And that's this theme of the importance of believing. In fact, John's Gospel talks about believing about 85 times. Almost every chapter talks about believing. You can go back to John chapter 1, verse 12. And John says, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Uh, if you look at the most well-known verse in Scripture, John three sixteen, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish 
but have eternal life. Even when we move into John 4, when Jesus is not necessarily teaching on the subject of believing, we find it's at the forefront of the story because Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman. He changes her life. How does that story end? In John 4, 41, it says, because of his words, many more became believers. And he goes from that story into the, the encounter with the royal official. If you remember the encounter with the royal official, uh, that story ends similarly. In verse 53, it says, the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Uh, even when Jesus is not teaching specifically on the subject of believing, it's at the forefront of the gospel of John. And we just looked at chapter five where Jesus says, hey, if you hear my words and you believe him who sent me, you'll have eternal life. It is everywhere. It's one of two areas that are highly prevalent and, and highly repetitive throughout the gospel of John thus far. The first is that Jesus is the divine son of God. He is God in the flesh. He's not just a man, but he is God. And if you read chapter six, you might have noticed that six times he says that he came down from heaven, came down from heaven. The son of God came down from heaven. And what he is trying to get across here is I wasn't just born. I came from somewhere. I came down from heaven. He's getting across his divinity. And the second thing that is a theme of the gospel of John is the necessity of believing this. You have to believe what the gospel says. And Paul summed it up so well in Romans chapter 1 when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation. And that's a beautiful verse, but it's not done yet. There's more to it. It's the power of God that brings salvation where? To everyone who believes. So if at the root of eternal life is the necessity to believe, then we had better understand and recognize what the Bible means when it talks about believing. Uh, how many of you believe the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl today? Nobody. Oh, that's sad. How many of you believe that the Eagles will win the Super Bowl? Like two people. Okay. How many of you, if you tried as hard as you could, you couldn't care any less? That, that's the boat that I am in uh, with this game today. Uh, but, but the truth is, you can say that you believe the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. You believe it. And what you mean by that is, I can see it happening. I can see that there's a possibility there. Maybe I lean in that direction. And that's fine if that's what believing means to you when it comes to football. But that cannot be what believing means to you when it comes to your faith. You better have a whole different mindset, a whole different framework set up for what it means to believe in the words of Jesus Christ. When John uh, writes about believing and when Jesus talks about believing, we're not talking about intellectually leaning uh, in this direction saying, oh, well, it's possible. I guess that's possible that what he says is true. When the Bible talks about believing, when John talks about it throughout his gospel, he uses the word pistuo, which is the word that literally means to place your faith in. It's the same word used in Hebrews 11 that says without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, what's the difference? The difference is simple. I can stare at this chair and tell you that I believe that there's a chair there. I believe there's a stool there. Intellectually, I believe that there is a stool right here. That means nothing to me until I sit in it. 
And now I have actually placed my faith in this and I have entrusted myself over to this stool. And that is the faith that God desires. And church, I believe that is the faith that God requires of his people. Not a faith that says, I think there's a good possibility that God is there. I think there's a good possibility that, that Jesus is true and the Bible is true. I think what God is pursuing from us is a faith that says, I will entrust myself into your message and I will surrender myself and rest completely surrendered to your message. Why is this so important? Because when we move into chapter six, uh, what we find is Jesus begins to lay out exactly what it is that he is calling them to believe. Uh, as we move into chapter 6, uh, it's no longer the, the generalized statement of believe in me and leave it at that. When, when we get into chapter 6, he begins getting detailed about exactly what he is saying uh, we should believe in, exactly who he is and what it means to follow him and to believe in him and to be his disciple. And if you read the story this week, you know that he, he, he lays it out for them. This is what I'm calling you to believe. And the Bible says many people found it hard and they walked away. They were all for it when Jesus just said, believe in me. But when he said, this is what it means to believe in me, to have faith in me, the Bible says they found it hard and they walked away. The majority of them in the story walked away. We do not want to have a surface faith, a facade of faith that when we encounter something hard, we walk away. We want to have a faith that fully entrusts ourselves and surrenders ourselves to, to the person and the work and the words of Jesus Christ. And we haven't even gotten into the specifics of chapter 6, uh, and, and this is so good to me at least. I hope that, that it is to you. But when we jump into chapter 6, what we find is about 45 verses of chapter 6 is a teaching that takes place in a synagogue. Jesus is given this teaching, but before he gives this teaching, he does something very strategic. He sets up the entire teaching with a miracle. And we're going to read about that miracle uh, to begin this morning in John chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1, there's going to be a lot of scripture this morning uh, because there's a whole lot here, and, and I hate to break it to you, but the words uh, in this book are much more powerful than my own words. So we're going to read a lot of them today. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, and I love this part. He already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have uh, one bite. And another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. 
So they gathered them and filled the twelve, ba twelve, filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Uh, uh, now, if, if you read right after this, we get to a part where Jesus sends them across the sea, uh, and then he walks on water, and he, uh, he gets on the boat, and they arrive at the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And we're going to pick up uh, right after that in John chapter 6, verse 24. It says, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. I love this because they say, Jesus, why did you come? And instead he tells them why they came. Or they ask him how he came and he tells them why they came. You came because you're hungry. On to verse 27, Jesus says this, Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Jesus right here, I'm going to show you in just a moment, he baits them. Uh, it, it's so strategic what he does. And what I mean, uh, I'll show you. It, it's funny, our seven-year-old, JR, uh, he loves to do this. He, he likes to talk and talk and talk. He, he must get that from Emily. Um, <laughs> he, he, he talks and talks, but what he likes to do is he likes to create some intrigue first. And if he has something to say, he'll hint around it. And what he wants is you to start asking him questions so that he can tell you. And to his little brother, this works like magic. But to his daddy, who likes to have fun and be a little cruel sometimes, it doesn't always work. And, and last week he came downstairs and it was one of those moments and he just came up to me and he said, Daddy, I have a plan. And I was like, that's nice. And. Uh, <laughs> He walks over and he starts unloading the dishwasher and he's like, uh, he just keeps talking about it. He says, it's a really good plan. It, it may not work. No, I think it'll work. And he, he's just talking all about the plan. And I thought to myself, I wonder how long I can just let him talk about the plan without actually ever telling me the plan. And it turns out a really long time. <laughs> but eventually I gave in and I said, tell me about your plan. And he told me all about his plan. Uh, that's not the point. But Jesus right here, he baits them by speaking their language. Um, I think I have that back on the screen there in verse 27, Greg. He says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that leads to eternal life. Now he has sparked their interest because they are rooted and grounded in the law of Moses. They are rooted and grounded in works, and he's speaking their language. So look how they respond now. Uh, they respond and they say in verse 28, well, what must we do to do the works that God requires? The same language. They say, hey, we want to know what work we have to do. We want to know the task. We want to know the formula. So Jesus answers in verse 29, the work of God is this. And if we actually had a drummer in this church, we would have a drum roll. So I think that Jesus, uh, he just left kind of a dramatic pause and they're kind of leaning in saying, what is the work of God that leads to eternal life? Uh, which of the 10 commandments must we follow? What, what is the work? And then Jesus finishes the statement. He says, the work of God is this to believe in the one that he sent. The work of God is to believe. And what Jesus has just done is he has addressed the very mindset of the law and works directly head on and he is replacing it with the mindset of grace. 
You think you have to work and work and work to find the favor of God. But the greatest work that you can do in your life is to place your complete faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ. And their response to this is, you're going to have to show us something. If you're saying something like this, you're going to have to give us some proof. So we'll read about that beginning in verse 30. It says, they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? This is amazing to me because he just turned the, the just fed 5,000 men, probably 10,000 people. Uh, what will you do? In verse 31, they said, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And sir, they said, always give us this bread. It's so fascinating because they're still missing it. They still think he's just talking about some bread. They still think he's just talking about food. So finally, Jesus sees that he's just going to have to spell it out for them. And he does in verse 35. He says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Finally, he just says, I'm talking about myself. This isn't about the bread. It's never been about the bread. It's about the bread of life, Jesus Christ. I'm talking about me. Now, now what we find here is finally they get it. They don't receive it, but they get it. Now remember what's happening here is Jesus has emphasized over and over and over the importance of believing in him and his message. And now he is beginning to get into the details of what that message is. And the Bible says when Jesus says, I am the bread of life who came down from heaven, they start grumbling. They start grumbling, but Jesus doesn't back down. He actually doubles down. And I want you to just remember this. He has just said now, specifically, I am this bread of life that's come down from heaven. And then he moves into verse 47. And he says, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. There it is again. He's saying, what I am telling you right now, if you want eternal life, you have to accept my message. And then he says again in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. My bread is my flesh, which I give, I will give for the life of the world. And if you read the story, what happens is the intensity of their response picks up a notch because the Bible says that they had been grumbling and then it says, after this takes place, they begin to argue with each other sharply. They're becoming more and more upset by his words. And in a moment, I'm going to break down this statement that Jesus made where he said, I am the bread of life. But I want you to see just on the surface, we'll break it down right now. On the surface, there is a highly significant and highly relatable meaning to this. And I think about how this whole thing got started. Jesus feeds over 10,000 people. He feeds them the bread. Jesus, the Bible says, had this miracle in mind all along before he even got into this teaching. From just a few loaves. And what happens next? Jesus withdraws from the people. He goes to the other side of the lake. And what do the people do? 
But they don't wake up and say, oh, well, that, well, that was nice that we got to live through that. No, the Bible says that they got into their boats and they chased after him. They went searching for him. They actually crossed miles of, uh, of the Galilean Sea to find him. And I'm actually reminded uh, of Jeremiah chapter 29 where it says, you will, you will find me. I will be found by you when you search for me with all of your heart. What they've done in a way here is exactly what God requires of us. They have gone out and they have searched for him. The problem is, they are searching for the provision rather than the provider. They just want more of what he has to offer. And what Jesus says is you should have come seeking me rather than what I can give you. And we have to understand that Jesus is not the key to the American dream. We don't seek Jesus because he provides. We don't seek him because he'll give us a big house or a nice car. We seek him because he is the son of God who stepped into humanity and gave his life on the cross only to be raised again, that he died for our sins. And the Bible says this church is the gospel. It is the power of salvation. To who? To the one who believes. To the one who entrusts themselves to that message, it is the power unto salvation. But here is the thing about bread. You can stare at it all day long and it will not fill you. You can talk about it all day long and it will not fill you. You can know every ingredient that went into it and it will not fill you. Bread has to be consumed. Bread has to be consumed. And when Jesus tells them this, that I have to be consumed, they find it offensive and they begin arguing with one another. But the reality is what Jesus is saying is you have to make him a part of your being. You have to take every part of him into every part of you. And Jesus says, whoever consumes this bread will live forever. And that is just one side of what's going on. We could go for hours into the comparison of the story of Moses, how Jesus uh, is the, the fulfillment of the manna falling from heaven in the story of Moses. We could spend hours uh, studying how this is just the first of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And it was a reference to the book of Moses or the book of uh, Exodus when Moses says to God, who, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. And it almost feels incomplete. And I love this because I think Jesus is completing it. God said, I am has sent you. And Jesus finishes it. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Seven times throughout the Gospel of John, he completes that statement of saying, this is who I am. For the sake of time, we're just going to continue here in the narrative. Uh, Jesus says he's the bread of life come down from heaven. And the Bible says that the people grumble. Jesus says that this bread must be eaten. And there's this progression where the people go from grumbling to arguing. Now, if he doubled down before, he actually triples down here. He's not worried about feelings. Uh, we'll pick up again in, John, in uh, verse 52. It says, the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them uh, in verse 53, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life. And you imagine hearing this for the first time when you know nothing of the communion that we take today. 
unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Sometimes I read this, and I think, Jesus, you could have made it a little bit easier for people here. Uh, in verse 56, he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread, speaking of himself, will live forever. He said this while teaching in the, uh, the synagogue. So all of this isn't on some mountainside. It's actually in their church, basically. He's giving this message. On hearing it, in verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And I want you to see this in verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I want to point something out to you here. Uh, all along in the Gospel of John, we're finding that the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the Jewish people often turn away from Jesus Christ. That's not what's happening here. The Bible says that his own disciples now are, are, are learning more about who this God is, who this person is that they're supposed to trust and believe. And when they learn the specifics and everything that he's saying, the majority of them actually turn away, his own disciples. You know, we today understand because Jesus clarified later that, that his body is the bread that was broken on the cross and that the, the blood is the, the wine, you know, and, and we're going to take part in that today. But they didn't understand that. Uh, he gives no explanation. He simply says something that is very hard to accept, very hard to hear, impossible to understand. And then what he does is he leaves it to his disciples to decide if they're still going to follow him. Uh, he was not leading them to a point where they would be forced to walk away, but he was leading them to a point where they would be forced to make a decision. And what we have in the span of one chapter is Jesus ha has taken this people uh, to, to this place where He's not giving them what they want to have. Remember, they just want more fish. They want more food. He's not giving them what they want to have. And now he's not telling them what they want to hear. And what happens in the story is his own disciples begin to walk away. And, and, and the question that we have to ask is, what will you do if Jesus isn't giving you the things that you want? And what will you do if he begins speaking to your heart and it's not the things that you want him to say. Because that's what they're facing in this moment is Jesus is saying things and he's not doing things and he is doing things that just lead to utter confusion. And they have this choice of saying, do I trust him even though I am extremely confused by what he's saying in this moment? Do I trust him or do I walk away? Renee, could you go ahead and come if you would? Again, in verse 60, uh, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I love this in verse 69. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What we have in, in this story is two groups of disciples. 
We have one group of disciples that has a backup plan. And when Jesus says what they don't want to hear, and when he's not doing what they want him to do, they revert to the backup plan. They have a fallback. And then we have the 12 disciples. And what does Peter says? He says, we're all in. <laughs> Where else? Where else am I going to go? And as I was praying this week, just over this message and this service, uh, I felt like today was supposed to be a day of letting go of backup plans. Where some of us that, that maybe we're on the fence saying, as long as I'm hearing the things I like, as long as I'm living the American dream or, or living the blessed life, I'll continue following him. But I have a backup plan. If that ever goes wrong, I'm never coming to church again. I believe that we are being called today to let go of those backup plans and say, God, it's you or nothing. There's nowhere else for me to go. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. And if you're going to participate in communion with us, would you go ahead and open up uh, your cup and, and the wafer out of that? passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper he took the cup saying this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, I'm going to have you take this in your own timing this morning as Renee leads us in a song, but um, what I want on your mind this morning is what we're talking about in John chapter 6, where Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And what it is for those who are following him in that moment is it is a line in the sand. And what he is saying is if you, if you agree to consume the bread of life, you're all in. You're saying that I am on this side of the line with no backup plan and I will receive every word, even the hard ones, even the confusing times, I will receive it and I will trust. As Renee leads us, I, I want you to pray in your heart and you might be in a place this morning where, where you say, I'm, I'm not ready to come off the fence yet. I, I hope you will. I hope you'll cross that line and say, I'll never go back. But when you reach that place in your heart, that's when I want you to, to take of the bread that, it, that represents this morning, the bread of life. The bread of life and the person of Jesus Christ.
After that, in your own timing, take up the cup, representing the blood that was poured out on the cross. Lord, I pray this morning, I pray it's a, a time of surrender. A time where we say in our hearts, we don't have to understand to trust you. seasons of confusion and we might be in one right now but we choose this day to trust you and we say to you God where else could we go because we have come to believe and to know that you are the son of God church in your own time go ahead and take up the elements this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. 
And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.